Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that looks at the inspiration, intention, and actionable steps to help you jumpstart joy in the world, in your life, and in other people's lives. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. This is episode 175. This week on the show, I'm really thrilled to have Sharon Prentice joining me as a guest. She's a psychotherapist, spiritual counselor, and author of Becoming Starlight, A Shared Death Journey. Sharon wrote this amazing book after she had lost both her daughter, Stephanie, and her husband, Steve. And she had a shared death experience at the same time of the passing of her husband. And the information and inspiration that she shares in this interview and in her book are really heartwarming. And I know you guys are going to get so much out of this. Before we get there, I first want to say a big warm welcome to all of you guys. Thank you so much for listening each week. It's such a treat to get to do this show. And I had a lot of fun on Facebook this last week mentioning that (laughs) the show had hit number 65 in Canada. So thank you if you're listening from Canada and number 11 in Egypt. So thank you if you are listening from those places. And of course, a big shout out to a favorite listener, Margaret, in Jerusalem. Thank you so much for tuning in each week. If you guys are curious about Jumpstart Your Joy, it's a podcast that comes out on Tuesday mornings. And you can find it at any of the podcasting places like iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. And the best thing to do is to subscribe on one of those apps. So then you get each episode automatically downloaded to your device each Tuesday as it's released. If you want to find out more about the show, about my approach to joy, about how to work with me if you're looking for a life coach or a podcasting coach, you can find out more at the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com. And the show notes for this episode, which will include the links to Sharon's book and some of the other related episodes, there are a few, you can find the show notes at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash Sharon, S-H-A-R-O-N. Before we jump into the interview, I want to give you guys a little bit of context because Sharon and I dive right in. (laughs) We had a lot of pre-chatter. And so I want to give you some of the context for the language that she's using of her shared death experience, which was something that I was not familiar with until I had read her book, which is similar to a near-death experience, except it's something that occurs when you lose someone close to you and you share in their death experience. And so for Sharon, that happened at the passing of her husband, Steve. And several years prior to that, she had lost her infant daughter, Stephanie. You'll hear both those names in the show, so I want to make sure you understand who the people are and what they mean to Sharon. And then the other word that you'll hear her talking about is starlight. And she uses the term starlight interchangeably with shared death experience or SDE. You'll hear all of those. I just want to make sure you're up on the vocabulary before we dive into deep. The thing that I love about this discussion and about Sharon's work is there's so much inspiration. And of course, when we're looking at joy on this show, we're talking about inspiration, intention, and action that you can take to bring more joy into your life. And I feel like this episode is just so beautifully full of inspiration for all of us. And it's the question of what happens if we fully trust and understand and know that the divinity or the creator or the universe, whatever word you want to use for that entity or that energy, that that is a fundamentally good and knowing and loving entity. And I think it really brings up the question, and you'll hear Sharon talk more about this, but what happens when we at least 
kind of sit with this idea that the divinity and the creation and the universe is a place where we are all okay, we are all held and cherished, and that we are all loved. Because I think if we understand that, and even if we can just get a tiny grasp of that, I think it can fundamentally shift and change how you see your purpose here on this planet and how you interact with other people in this world. And I think that's fundamentally a different way of looking at it than what a lot of media and some of the political landscape would have you believe today. I'm super excited to share this with you. Let's get on to the show. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. This week on the show, you guys, I have Sharon Prentice, who is the author of Becoming Starlight, A Shared Death Journey from Darkness to Light. Welcome to the show, Sharon. I'm so excited you are here. Oh, thanks, Paul. I'm so glad to be with you. I've I've read up on your website and, and about you and everything that you do, and I'm, I'm really honored that you asked me to be on with you. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Well, the first question I ask everybody is, what did you love most as a child or in school? What were your earliest sparks of joy? Oh, that's such a good question. All of a sudden, <laughs> my mind is going a million miles an hour. You know what? I liked dance. When I was a kid, I loved dance and music. And uh, I was actually, when I was a kid, we lived on Cape Cod, a little place called Buzzards Bay. And I mean, we were right on the water's edge. As a matter of fact, my father and our next door neighbor built the seawall uh, to keep the bay out of our house. And we were that close wow. to it. And the lady behind us had a dance studio. And we took ballet, tap, jazz, and acrobats from her. So from the time I was, oh my gosh, able to move my body, I remember uh, doing that. Of course, if I tried to do it now, I'd probably break something. But, (laughs) you know, I loved it as a child. I was so very much into dance and movement and it made me happy. So, oh, what a good question that was. (laughs) Thank you. Well, and I love that you brought up that you live near the water because I feel like water was, it plays a huge role in your book and like what seems to inspire you. Like that's a really neat tie-in. There's something about the ocean. I was born in Panama City, you know, right then in Florida. Um, And the house that we had was right on the ocean. And I spent most of my life seriously playing in the waves with my grandparents and my parents and my sisters and there's just something about it. Even today, you know, I'll sit on the deck because we're, the water's right there. And I will sit on the deck by myself and just listen to the water. There's something about the depth of the ocean that mm. I so, it, I recognize it. And I know this sounds a little odd, but it recognizes mm. me. It, it's so that deep, deep, that well, you know, that's inside mm-hmm. of all of us. The ocean just fills mine up, and I try constantly to be around it. It's the sound and the smells and the the waves and j- just all of it. There's something about it that is so peaceful and just speaks to me on a level that nothing else does. Maybe it's love music, and just the music from the ocean is something that just really sets my soul on fire, and I have to have it. Yeah, that's really good stuff, because I find that the ocean, I think we're very similar in that way. Like, if there's a place that... I would kind of call it my heart's second home. It's somewhere, you know, I went to UC Santa Barbara where I would go to the cliffs and just look at the water. I was married on the cliffs up at Sea Ranch, which is also right on the water. And I feel like there's something about the ocean that Mm -hmm. does kind of resonate in like a deeply spiritual way. Like I feel like 
if I had words for it, it's one of those things where it is so deep and so abundant. And it's almost like, I don't know, like, I'll go there, like God's love, like it just yes. can refill itself again and again and yes. again, and there's no end to it, kind of like Absolutely the way. Absolutely none. And you know, the best time hmm. is either at twilight or sunset or whatever, when you can't tell hmm. where the sky ends and the ocean begins or yes. the other way around, when you cannot see the horizon. And it just everything is is just this oneness and then you can just kind of climb right into it and it hugs you you know and, yes. and that for me is is where i go when i need just filling myself up you know mm-hmm. but, so i know right where you're at lady because that, yes. that, that to me is the same thing <laughs> i know? love that we have that that is awesome i yeah, haven't ever yeah. heard anyone describe it exactly like that so yay thank you that was that's awesome so now, I mean, in your work, you're a therapist and yeah. you pull deeply from spirituality. Would you like to kind of give us a sense of who it is that you work with and, and what you do? Sure. I work with terminally ill patients and their families. And I do that for a very, very specific reason. You know, when I first started out um, as a therapist, I was going to be a psychiatrist. and But then the experience with my husband happened and I decided that no way that wasn't for me. I was not going to be the pill popper because that's no down talk to being a psychiatrist. It's just for me that wasn't going to work. But once I graduated and got my PhD, it still wasn't enough because having gone through what I went through, I realized that no matter how healthy you are physically, emotionally, psychologically, if the spiritual aspect is off, the whole system is out of balance. Everything Mm -hmm. just falls apart. So I needed to add so much of the spiritual factors that that take place in people. And in order to do that, I had to go to a lot of alternative places to learn. And that's exactly what I did. I went to priests and ministers and Buddhists and and Hindu and, and Islam. And I went to, I spent hours and hours and hours sitting with the monks and just learning everything that I could possibly learn um, to get that part of people involved in their health. And what I ended up discovering was exactly what I thought I was going to discover, that about 99% of all issues that people deal with have a basis in their spiritual nature where something is out of balance, where they don't want to see something. You know, we all keep these these shadows, okay? We mm-hmm. hide these shadows within our soul and they, they hide the light. And what I wanted to do in my job was to uncover that darkness so the light can shine. And I use that with my terminally ill patients because I want to uncover the darkness, which is fear. The fear and anxiety. When someone is sitting in front of you and you get a diagnosis that you never expected, okay, even when someone is very, very sick, when they actually hear the words, the thing that happens is you lose your innocence. And all of us don't really think of innocence as being something to do with mortality, but that's exactly what it is. When you are faced with your mortality, that innocence that you carry with you your you know, your entire life, it just fades away and all of a sudden you realize, oh God, and we don't know how to deal with it. And the fear and anxiety just builds up so much. So it's my job to help alleviate that anxiety and that fear. Of course I can't take it all away, but by using my experience of Starlight Mm-hmm. I can help show them that there really isn't anything to be afraid of. 
So that's that's kind of what I do. I can imagine it takes the grounding that you have and the understanding of a shared death experience, as you discuss in your book, to be able to go there with someone. You know what's funny, Paula? So many people find out what I do and their first reaction is, oh, wow, that's so unselfish. That's so great. That must be so hard to do. And I can't ever take that kind of a compliment. I really can't. You know why? Mm. Because I started this from an extremely selfish point of view. I really did. When I lost my husband, the experience Mm -hmm. that I had was so magnificent and powerful that I wanted to get back there. And it soon changed into something very, very different. It became something that is such a labor of love for me. And I've met so many amazing, amazing people and and their families have become my family. I mean, people Mm -hmm. that I had 10, 12, 15 years ago, we're still very much in touch. And it's such a joy for me to see them continuing on their journey, you know, falling in love again and finding hope and thriving after losing someone that they love so dearly. So I, I, I love what I do. It's, uh, it helps me. It really does. And I, I have shared my experience with so many, and I've seen what it can do when they realize that their life has not ended as much as they think it's going to. There's always hope. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things there that are so interesting, too, is that so easy for us to have that idea that in grief, that there is only grief. Right. Uh, and that you will, that we are such like finite thinkers often that we think that this is going to be how something always is. I really like what you just said, because one of the things that I learned the hard way, I did not come to all of this overnight. I mean, this was this was a hard-fought awakening process for me, but we all walk around with these blinders on because we are so focused in on what we are thinking at the moment. And so when we do that, we separate ourselves from each other. We separate ourselves from God. We separate ourselves from all the vibrational patterns, you know, that are in the world that are just waiting for us so they can just rush in. But we think in this grief, we think this is all there's ever going to be. I can't believe this happened to me. And we set up this victim status. Now, I'm not saying that you're not a, you're not a victim when right. these things, bad things happen. What I'm saying is if we set up shop in that victimhood and are totally aligned with that, we can lose who we are, which is something that our loved ones that we lost would never want to happen to us. Right. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Because there is that place where, yes, something bad happened, but then it's if you're attached to that right, being part of who you are and now takes over who you are, then, then it's hard to move past it. It's all part of what I call the egoic mind. Ego keeps us stuck. It doesn't want us going anywhere. Yeah, I talk about it like it's this real person and it actually is because it will take over your entire life. And until we can get out of that egoic mind and align ourselves back with our true selves and and the way this universe works, then we are going to be stuck. And that's that's one of the things that I have to find in the people that I work with and help them get through it, which involves a lot of getting rid of the guilt feelings and the survivor guilt and all of those things that we all go through when we lose someone. Would you share a little bit about your shared death experience and either from the lens of like, how does it inform what you do now, or maybe what it is that you learned? I learned 
Oh, this sounds so totally cliche, but I'm going to say it anyway. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I learned just how much I was loved. Oh, Mm -hmm. my Lord, just how much I was loved. And I learned that the separation I created from God, and yes, I call him God, and I'm using the generalized form of him because it makes Mm -hmm. it easy to talk about. I learned that the separation I set up when I lost my daughter was not something that God did. I did that because I was angry. I was so full of rage. And then when I had that experience, all of those deep, dark, horrible emotions and and all of the things that I was struggling with were just gone. They were just taken from me. I was cocooned and just wrapped in the most magnificent love. And magnificent doesn't even come near. There is not a word in any human language that has ever been invented or ever could be invented to describe what that is. But I think the biggest lesson that actually changed every single thing about my life, it altered my entire life and that of my family and that of my community, was that this God that I had prayed to and begged for the lives of my daughter and my husband and this God that I had been taught about from the time I was a little kid didn't exist. And so I had to let go of all of these childhood visions and pictures and, you know, the Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments, you <laughs> yeah. know that? Okay. Oh, yes. <laughs> right, that that was God. Okay. And mm-hmm. this was this was the thing that I raged against for so many years. And what I found out and what I learned was that has absolutely nothing to do with the truth of who and what God is. So those are my two biggest, I think, lessons that that mm-hmm. I learned that changed everything about me. I'm kind of just sitting in that that the truth of God is very different than what we learn of. And again just an easy pronoun, what we learn of him as a human. I mean, I feel like kind of Moses goes through some of that as well. You know, like we're trying to get it right. We think God's going to be like us. We think there's some sort of rules that we have to follow and that it's all structured. And maybe some of it is, and there's some structure to it, but it feels like the experience of then being, do you ever describe it as being in the, what, the presence of the divine or the face of the divine? The presence. I describe it as being in the presence. And what I discovered was that the more mysterious something is, Mm -hmm. the more we think we understand it. But it's like that the more you think you know, the more you find out you don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you finally come to the fact that the joy and the happiness, the peace in life is just learning to realize that you're going to be living inside this mystery until the day that you die. But people have asked me, did I see God's face? And I honestly can't answer that. Uh, Mm -hmm. They said, what does he look like? What does he look like? (laughs) And to me, my response just kind of makes people go, huh, sometimes because God looks like love I have never, ever, ever seen before. It was his presence that just enveloped me in this. Okay, imagine yourself. And I think I put this in the book. Imagine yourself going through every single emotion you have ever had, whether it's hate, anger, rage, uh, despair, loneliness, love, peace, joy. Imagine all of those. You go through all of those to get to this point of absolute stillness Mm -hmm. and a joy and a peace that is beyond joy and peace. 
Amazing. That's what it's like being in the presence of God. That's the only way, that's the only way I can put it. I knew I was home. It was a long ago forgotten memory. And I've described it that way from the moment it happened, a long ago forgotten memory that I knew where I was and I knew who I was with. And that to me changed my life. Mm. Does that so make any beautiful. sense? <laughs> you know, it's it, it does. And when, I don't know, it's one of those things that resonates. Like it's not, I couldn't put words around it. The only thing that kind of flashed into my head when you were talking about all those emotions mm-hmm. and then arriving at a different place after having experienced them is, and it's, I, I shared this with another guest, it's Johnny Pollard, if other people want to go back and listen, but there's a moment and my favorite moment in the Bible, which is a really bizarre one to have as a favorite is when. Jesus is on the cross and he cries out and he says, Mm -hmm. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And in my head, I imagine that he is going through exactly what you just described, that it is every emotion he is that any human could ever feel. And he is like, what is this? Like It's amazing and it's awful and it's everything all at once. And why did I have to come here and experience it? That's beautiful. You know what? I've never heard anybody put it that way before, but... Whoa, that, hey girl, that's really good. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I never thought, really, seriously, this yeah. is the first time I've ever heard about that. And and I'm with you. I have this, as you were talking, I have this visual, you know, in my mind. And you know, Jesus, fully divine and fully human. Um, mm-hmm. ha, you know, if you think, if you think to him the the night before in, in the Garden of Gethsemane and yeah. crying the tears of blood. I mean, that's talk about despair. So you know. That type of despair. Yes. And how do you do it? That was really, I'm going to steal that. I'm going to use that. That's really good. Yeah. I I mean, I have goosebumps. Like on the top of my head, I'm just tingly right now because I've never heard of someone else. Like I felt like I understood it, but that you just kind of mirrored what you said your experiences is kind of like, whoa, this is amazing. And that's the way I've explained it forever. And, you know, it's so hard because we are so limited. You know, Mm -hmm. our silly little human brains are not supposed to be able to comprehend this amazing, amazing mystery of the universe. And that's another reason why I do so much spiritual. I, and I actually have a lot of people who don't believe in anything. And it's amazing though, I have to tell you, when you get a terminal diagnosis, all of a sudden, all of the stuff you said you never believed in, yeah, well, guess what? It's right there. And people yeah. want to know and they want to ask and they and they do ask and they want to share. And, and it, like I said, that innocence of thinking that you're going to live forever mm-hmm. drops away. And when you face your mortality, that is the scariest thing. You know, people, if you look at the list of the things that people are most afraid of, number one is public speaking. I know, really. And right. number two, and number two is death. I yeah. mean, people are more afraid to go and do public speaking, um, you know, and so they don't want to talk about anything bad. You know, bad stuff always happens to the other guy. And we never stop to yeah. think that to that other guy, that's us. It, it's such a devastating thing. And, you know, it's even harder a lot of times on the family, the people who are hearing the diagnosis and the people who are going to be left behind. So that's why I found it so important to add a spiritual uh, component to every single thing that I do, whether it's terminally ill in their families or whether it's just the rest of my patient population, which is, you know, your normal 
you know, child problems and marital problems and those types of things. But it's always, I have found it's always a spiritual component that needs fixing first. Wow. That's interesting. And do you find that to be more or less true if someone has had a spiritual kind of upbringing or is it kind of everyone still got no stuff it's kind of it's up? kind of everything you know we all have the same issues every every single one of us mm-hmm. and it's so funny because sometimes people will sit in front of me and they'll say oh, I don't want to tell you I don't want to tell you I'm so embarrassed oh it's so humiliating oh I did something so bad and I always just look at them and say come on I guarantee you I've heard this 20 times in the last week we all have the same issues every one of us and we all try to hide them the same way we cover them up with this darkness and it my job is to get rid of that darkness and get people to face the things that they don't want to face and most of the time it's because they've they think they've done something so bad or you know whatever it is and we do hurt each other you know you might as well get rid of all the 10 commandments and just replace it with one don't be selfish and so when i get people to get down to the point where they realize that what they've done, they feel bad about because of the innate spiritual nature, that thing that is within every single one of us. I consider myself a mystic, okay? Mm-hmm. And that is something that came from my experience. Yeah. And when I started researching the mystics, the first thing that I was taught was about the heart of hearts. Have you ever heard of that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's in the heart of hearts that... Uh, that, that part that's in every single human being, deep, deep in the heart, that's where God lives. That's why we are that magnificent expression of God. We are all here because he thought of us. You know, it was like he said, okay, I want a Paula and I want her, that's what she's going to be. You are his <laughs> thought, just yeah. like I am and just like everybody else is. So we are that expression of him and that is carried in that heart of hearts. And the only other thing or person or whatever you want to call it, entity, that is allowed in is you. And once you find a way to awaken or enlighten or whatever word you want to use to enter into that space, that divine space within you, then you realize who you are. Right. And it is in there that that innate goodness, that innate thought of God that exists, once you touch on that, then you can start to get rid of all the darkness and all of the things that have bothered you and shamed you and, you know, all of those other things because you realize that those are outside egoic influences and has nothing to do with who you are as that thought of God. So that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yes. I tell you, I'm a novice. I, I, you know, for me, it's an everyday, everyday thing. And I try and take what, you know, I am given and give it to other people, because, you know, the more you can share this, the more families you can save. Uh, and we need this. It- yeah. I mean, both from the the healing that comes from kind of the life after losing someone, right. but also from that, the larger healing point of if we all could see each other as yeah. the divine spark that we are, yep. there's just no way we would be as a, as a society be treating each other the way that we do. I know. Like, that sounds so easy. It's so easy to hmm, say, oh, yeah. isn't it? But it's so, <laughs> I tell people all the time when they, the, the newbies come to see me, they, they, you know, I always say, this is going to be the hardest work you've ever done in your life, bar none, because I'm yeah. a taskmaster. I really am. Mm-hmm. I'm a very hard taskmaster. I ask people to do certain things, and, and if they don't do it, then I will refer them out to someone else. I'm not going to waste their time. Uh, they have to do what I ask them to do. And 
that's why if you see my office, I have hats and pictures and banners and posters that all say crazy hot mess. Uh, because eventually my people will say to me, you are going to make me a crazy hot mess before we're done. And then I added, if you go to my website, you'll see, or my Facebook page, you'll see where it says, it says my crazy hot mess is my beautiful souls. Because I got tired of people just saying they're a crazy hot mess. And I would always say, oh, yeah, but you're a beautiful soul. And so you know, <laughs> people will say, where did that come from? I didn't give myself that name. My patients gave me that name. Because oh, I won't let them go. I will not let them go until I start to uncover some of that stuff. And once you start, just a tiny little bit of light starts to break through that darkness, it just explodes. And yeah. it, it's so great watching it. Yeah. Yeah, because it's really, it's really hard not to let the light kind of creep all over once it's... Right. It's on you. I mean, it, yeah, you yeah, can't put absolutely. It back out. Yeah. You got you get a taste of it, or you get the feel. You know that warmth that just goes through your body. It's like you want more. You mm-hmm. just want more. And from there, we go into other things. Where I like to teach people this very ancient form of prayer. You know, where you go to, you find your sacred word, and you can get into centering prayer. And oh, I love prayer. centering prayer. Oh <laughs> man, let me tell you. You know, it goes back to people say, well. Well, what is that? But, you know, it, as you know, it yeah. comes from eons and eons ago from our B- Buddhist brothers and sisters. And But if you look at the Bible, be still and know. And you find that sacred word and you, you, you just be still and you focus on God. It, every, everything in your life will change. It just changes. It I, you know, I believe, I know you haven't asked this question, but this is leading me. <laughs> this is the way my brain works. Yeah, we're, we're, we're on the same wavelength. So. You know, this is the way my brain works. When, when I think about that, I knew nothing about this when the experience with my husband happened. Absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And this all started like, you know, you and I have talked before that it started when my daughter died and this was this long years and years working up to the moment he died. And I was in such absolute despair, just despair. You know, I never gave up hope. I, I blinded myself, you know, that this, I'm going to beat God. I'm going to beat death. I'm, you know, I set up this battle with them the whole time saying I didn't believe in God, that he was just this, you know, thing that people made up to control you. And, so I was going to take on death, and I was going to beat them at their own game, and I was going to save my husband. And then the last couple of hours of his life were just so horrible. And in the last few moments, he did something that he wasn't supposed to do medically. Um, right. He he rolled over, and he opened his eyes, and it was like, what in the world? You know, the people that were in the room with me, the oncologist, stayed there with me the whole time because he'd become a good friend by then. And he went racing over to the bed to see what was going on. And he'd use some choice words, which I won't use now. I don't think your audience would appreciate it. <laughs> but, you know, um, and I was right there with him. And, and when he he said something to me, I said something to him and he said something to me. And when he spoke to me, I took in this, you know, when you gasp, you take in this, this big breath, you know, it's like, <gasps> you know. <clears throat> and at the same time I did that, he breathed out. And I realized that I had breathed in his breath, and I could I could just feel it. But what mm-hmm. I didn't realize was that it was his last breath. And when I opened my eyes from that, oh, my God, we're getting this reprieve, you know, mm-hmm. I saw that his eyes had just gone dark, and I knew he had died. And it was at that moment that I just fell. And 
there was nothing, absolutely nothing left of me. And that's where the be still Mm. comes in for me, because at that moment, there was such a complete letting go, complete and utter letting go of who I was, who I thought I was, who I'd been told I was, the ego, you know, that that makes us all get up and walk in the morning and go about our business or whatever, that egoic mind, it was all gone. And there was nothing, and this noise came out of my mouth wasn't a word it was it was a noise and I have been told that that noise did something in a vibrational pattern that was probably one of the reasons that I was granted this experience now I don't know anything about all of that vibrational stuff it's too it's so complicated and there's so much of it but for me that noise became like my sacred word, okay? Mm. And it was at that point, here's what I believe. It was at that point that God said, there she is, okay, get her now. I want her right now. She's mine, Mm. okay? And it's not, I think it was a combination of me finding the sacred noise or sacred sound or sacred something that was taking me into the center the focus being on what I needed at the moment, which was God, yeah. even though I had said I hated his guts, I didn't really know who he was. And so to take me into that moment in time and at the same time to be given a divine gift, that's what St. Teresa of Avia called it. The, it was mm-hmm. a sacred, it, it was a divine gift because as you know, since you know about centering prayer, mm-hmm. um, divine gifts are not part of centering prayer. They don't include NDEs, SDs and all that. Those are specific gifts. So for me, I think this yeah. happened because of three things. Steve's love, mm-hmm. because he knew that I wasn't going to survive, okay, because it was too much for me. My soul, what was left of me, finding that word that I needed and God granting me a divine gift. And I think it was those things, those three things together that caused me to have that experience and, and send the stars to get me. That's, that is the best hypothesis I can come up with. And maybe it makes sense to some, maybe it doesn't. But to me, that is what I think happened. Everything came together at just that point in time for this mm-hmm. to happen. Does that make sense to you, knowing what you know about centering prayer and and yeah, and, yeah that's what mm-hmm. I think. That's what I think happened. Yeah, and there's so much in there. I mean, like you wonder what the sound was. Okay, I can remember it was this. I've never been able to make it again. I can tell you mm-hmm. that up front. Yeah, it was this guttural, just this guttural noise that came from someplace in me that. If you can imagine screaming for help, yeah, just the primal scream that only God can hear, yeah, that came out of me like this guttural noise. The oncologist that was in the room with me tried to explain it to me because he actually got scared for me. He came over and took my pulse and all that other kind of stuff and was shining the light in my eyes to see if my eyes would respond and all of that, but... Mm-hmm. I checked out. Nobody was home. But I knew what he was doing 
because mm-hmm. I was kind of both places at the same time. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I could see everything sure. that was going on, and yet I wasn't there. But this noise and that being the the word that I needed to focus, and God heard it. God heard it, and Steve's love was like, okay, can we take her too, just to see that, you know, I'm okay and that Stephanie's okay. So I think there was some bargaining going on there for for me, you know. At least that's what I like to think. Yeah. Hmm. That's just the whole thing is so amazing. And just, I mean, just that God and Steve and they all knew just what you needed. I mean, that's just, wow. Yeah, it's really. Well, you know, I call I call the book "Becoming Starlight," and you know, some people tried to change my mind on that. Even the publisher was like, "Are you sure?" That was the only title that I ever ever would give it because that's what happened. It was the stars that came to get me, and you know, people have said different things about when they've had experiences. You know how it happened with them, but for me, you know, the ceiling turned to mist and the floor turned to mist, even though I was standing on it, and then the stars just came into the room and I could see each one of them separately and distinct and yet it was this one great big huge light the people have asked me the color and I'm like I don't have a clue it was no color like I've ever seen before so it's kind of that thing if you name me you negate me yeah you know and so there really wasn't a color that I could say and in those stars was the presence that I talk about, and I went freely. I, I just went freely. It was a just take me, you know. It was that complete, absolute letting go and that being still and going home. That's what it felt like, and it, it altered every single thing about me. Everyone was in that room. It altered their entire, and there was a nurse and the oncologist and my parents, and we were all in there together. And then, of course, things get around very quickly. You know, the nurses told people and the doctors told people and pretty soon the whole hospital knew and then the community knew and it changed the lives of so many people. It it was truly, it was life altering. Mm. It's just beautiful. Yeah. (sighs) Sometimes I look back on all of this stuff and I'm thinking, was that me? You know, was Mm. that, was that truly my life? Was I that girl that was so full of rage and hatred and and such despair. You know, it's hard now because I mean, I every morning I get up with a smile on my face and I and I thank God for doing what he has done and people have asked me too, you know, when I was there, did I ask him why did you take my daughter? You know, why mm, did you take yeah. my husband? And the funny thing is, it didn't matter. It didn't matter because I knew everything was exactly the way it was supposed to be. Now, of course, if I were ever taken back, I'd say, why? Why did you do all of this? You know, I'd like to think that I would say, come on, give. But he didn't feel it necessary to tell me his plans or to tell me why he he runs the universe the way he does. But at the time, it was okay. And when Steve turned to leave to go to where he was headed, I wasn't allowed to go. I was held in place where I was, but that was okay. Because I had no reason to be where he was going. I didn't belong there. But he did. And mm-hmm. it was okay. It it was seriously okay. It was almost like I could say, bye, see you later. That's what it felt like. Wow. Mm. I know. And just, just maybe, was it just what you needed in that moment? It was. I needed to know that there was a reason 
that they're, no, that's the wrong word. I needed to know that these things happen because they're supposed to happen. I needed to know that they were okay. You know, one of the biggest things that people also say to me, one of their biggest fears is when they get these this, these diagnoses, what's going to happen to me? Am I just going to disappear? Am I just going to turn into nothingness? I mean, what's all this for? And I needed an answer to that. Were they just gone? You know, was there, what, what was there? I needed an answer to that. And I got that answer, even though I didn't ask the question. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew that he was okay. And I knew that he was going where Stephanie was. And that saved my life. It really did. Mm-hmm. Knowing that we don't just turn into nothingness and we don't just disappear. And that, you know, to me, death is just birth in reverse. Right. And and you just, you go home. Mm. I That's know. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this has been just so good. Sharon, thank you. I yeah. love telling people, not because of my particular story, but because if I can take some of the fear and anxiety away from people who need that taken away, I'll do it. No, I can't take it all away, but I can sure start the process. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that is very true and that there is such a sense of hope in amongst mm-hmm. the the grief and the despair that yeah sometimes we just need to know that it's there. Yeah, and we forget and in this day and age nobody talks about those types of things openly. They keep them to themselves and they keep their questions to themselves and you know it's it's almost frowned upon in some in some places in our society and and I think it needs to be talked about again and I think the love of God needs to come down and touch everyone because I'm telling you, if anybody deserved to be judged, it was me um, because of the separation that I set up. And what I found out is that, you know, where it says in the Bible and just about every other holy book that you can think of, it talks about God's just waiting. He's just waiting for you. And that's it. And and it's us, you know, um, that keep him away from us. So entering into that heart of hearts and, and letting him take over for us doesn't mean we're going to disappear. It means we're going to totally, totally thrive in, in love like you can't even imagine. I think we need that again. Yes. Ooh, Did that I sound agree. preachy? I don't mean that to sound preachy. <laughs> oh, I, no. I really don't. I don't. I, <laughs> that that's the last thing in the world I would want to do. It's just I see so much pain and sorrow and just such unhappiness. And people think they have to live that way because they look for this outside entity, you know, the God that lives in the clouds up above God, wherever. And they look for happiness outside of themselves and they're never going to find it there because it doesn't exist there. No. Mm. Yes, I agree. If someone listening wants to either find your book or work with you or find out more, where would they go to do that? Oh, let's see. My website is www.sharonprentice.com. They can go to my professional Facebook page, which is Sharon Prentice PhD, and they can pick up the book at Amazon or Barnes and Noble or indie bookstores. You can find it just about wherever you want it. Wonderful. And I'll link up to all those in the show notes. And the last question that I love to ask everybody is, yes, ma'am. what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? 
Okay, the first thing I say is wake up with a smile. I don't care what's going on. Make yourself smile. There's something about smiling, you know. It just puts a warmth all through your body. It really does. Number two, the people in your life, tell them you love them. Just tell them, I love you. If you're watching TV, if in the car, if you're in the middle of an argument, I don't care what it is. Say, I love you because trust me, in the blink of an eye, shorter than that, they could be gone. And then you're going to have regrets. And it makes you feel so good when you reach for someone, give them a hug and you can say, I love you. It makes them smile. And when you make someone smile, Okay, that, it, that's it right there. Make them smile. Uh, you smile, then you make someone else smile. And the third thing that I try to teach people is focused meditation, even if that's five minutes. A lot of people have trouble um, with meditation, but that's one of the things that I teach my people. It does something to your body. It changes the, the vibrational patterns in your body. And those three things, it's all about making other people happy and love and God, that those are the three things that I think jumpstart your joy every single day. And you've got to find them. You've got to live in them. No matter how hard it is to start that process, you have to start the process. Even if you're sick and you feel horrible, you wake up and you smile. And that starts the process. So beautiful. Thank you so much, Sharon. It has been such a joy to have you on the show. Well, I've loved talking to you. We could talk for another six hours. I mean, you and I are on the same wavelength. I mean, oh my goodness, this is great. This is great. I so enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sharon, thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing your story and for just being so open about your shared death experience. It is fascinating, and I feel really blessed to have had you on the show to talk about it. If you guys are curious about finding Sharon's book, you can get all of the information, including the links to several episodes that I've had in the past that deal with grief, dying, and bereavement, because it really is a bookend to joy. And you can find those at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash Sharon. And while you're there, you can find 174 past episodes <laughs> of, and really soak up a lot of joy if that is what you are looking for. Also, if you are curious about diving into finding more joy in your life or putting into practice the inspiration, intention, and action that I talk about here each week, I would be delighted to work with you. I'm a certified life coach. I also help people launch their podcasts and run their podcasts, which is a truly joyful job. (laughs) You can find out more information about that either under the contact me tab or the work with me tab on jumpstartyourjoy.com. Next week on the show, oh my goodness, I'm so excited. I have an interview for you guys with Francesca Hoagie. She is a two-time Survivor contestant, and she is now a dating and relationship and career coach. And we have the most fun kind of laughing about so many random things. We had met in Atlanta last summer, and I was really inspired by her story. And it's just a lot of fun to get to talk to her. So I hope you'll come back next week for that episode. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.